0: I was born in Menlo Park, California. I lived most of my growing up years there, in Saratoga and Santa Rosa, California. Whenever we drove into San Francisco, I would look out at the Bay at Alcatraz, uh, one of the world's uh, most secure prisons. Uh, during uh, it served as a federal prison for many years, and during those years, twenty-six prisoners tried to escape, but only five succeeded. Alcatraz boasted high walls, double-locked doors, machine guns in the hands of the guards, a staff that could not be bribed, and the icy cold waters of the Pacific that surrounded it. The world's worst prison, however, is not Alcatraz, for that place can only confine the body. The worst prison is created By the person who will not forgive. It's the dungeon of an unforgiving spirit. It's the person shackled to baggage of resentment. Of memories of people who hurt them. You may not be a Christian. Because you can't believe there's a God who allowed you to be hurt as much as you were by someone. All of us have been hurt by someone. The difference between survivors and people imprisoned to bitterness is that survivors have learned to forgive. Do you know what forgiveness is? It is identifying specifically what was taken from me. It's not enough to say I had a terrible dad or I had a terrible mom. Or right, had a terrible boss, but what did they take from you? You have to be specific about what they took from you, and then you decide. You don't owe me anymore. I'm canceling the debt. You're letting them off the hook. That's why it feels so bad. But you're letting someone else off too. You. You're digging all that bitterness out of your heart. You don't owe me anymore. I forgive you. This is the second in a series of messages called From Bitter to Better, Choosing to Forgive. You may be imprisoned to resentment towards someone who hurts you. If you have a friend or family member who is harboring feelings of bitterness, you may want to share this series with them. Send them the link. Our counselor in this series is the Old Testament character, Joseph. Last week we saw that Joseph was treated unfairly and could have been bitter. We looked at what happens when people become bitter. One, you try to win an apology. You want to get the person to say they're sorry and admit that they were wrong. Two, when you fail to win an apology, your anger turns to bitterness. They won't uh, ask you to forgive them, so you become angry. Three, you fantasize about revenge. You begin to think of all the ways that you could uh, exact revenge, and, and even the books. You think that If you can get back at them and punish the person who hurt you, you'll make life fair again. But it does not. Dr. Evan Otison, a Seattle psychiatrist, says, Revenge is a pill you choose to swallow, hoping it will kill someone else. For you withdraw from life. If the person you have a conflict with is in the church, you drop out of church. If the trouble is with someone in your family, you stop going to family events. Or if you do go, you stay less long. If the problem was with a friend, you drop out of your social circle. Five, you damage your health. Carrying around resentment hurts our bodies. I suggested two strategies for overcoming bitterness. One, do right when you've been done wrong. The world suggests that when somebody does wrong to you, you need to get even. Jesus tells us not to do that. He says, don't return evil for evil. Break free from the chains of resentment through forgiveness. Two, look at the unfair things that happen to you through God's eyes. That's what Joseph did. He saw all the unfair things that happened to him, and he saw that God was working through that for good. And that's what you need to do. You say, my boss, my ex-husband... My sibling, my children, my teacher, my coach, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I want to talk to you today about another way forgiveness helps us move from bitter to better. Here's my big idea today. Forgiveness enables you to avoid the trap of blaming others for your problems. When someone does something that's unfair to us, we're left with a choice to blame or forgive. Most of us are pretty good at blame. Here's how the blame game works we assign blame and say, What happened is your fault. When a problem occurs, one of the first things we want to do is to figure out who's to blame. And then once we figure out who's to blame, we want to take steps to even the score. After all, once we know who to blame, our problem is solved, right? Wrong. Second, the misery in my life is your fault. The reason assigning blame does not solve your problem is because it makes you think there's nothing you can do to improve your situation blame shifts responsibility to the other person and it makes you feel helpless to solve your situation blame limits your options to one solution the other person must change playing the blame game will keep your wheels spinning but you won't get anywhere you'll spend endless days rehearsing the feelings of hate you hold towards someone who hurt you, who made you miserable. Most of us don't recognize how often we play the blame game. If you see yourself as angry, please raise your hand. Now, there's not too many uh, actually in the room here where I'm speaking, so I need every one of you to participate. How many know someone who is angry? Raise your hand. Amazing, isn't it? every one of us knows somebody who's angry but we don't think we're angry we know people who blame others but we don't think we blame others the bible tells us not to play the blame game which leads to bitterness the writer to the hebrews says make every effort To live in peace with all men and to be holy. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. If we're not to become bitter and play the blame game, and a better strategy for life is to forgive, why don't more of us forgive? We don't want to forgive. Because it seems so unfair to let the other person off the hook. That pawn scum hurt me and needs to pay. Do you really think that your withholding forgiveness will keep her up at night until she cannot stand it any longer and comes crawling back to you begging for your forgiveness? You may think that by with not holding a grudge, you're punishing the other person. But the only person you're punishing is yourself. Job says, resentment kills a fool. Job says, if you're holding on to bitterness, you're a fool. And it's killing you. When you... Hold on to revenge and blame other people. The only person you're punishing is yourself. Joseph could have played the blame game. Turn to Genesis uh, 39. Joseph was hated by his 10 older brothers because he was their father's favorite son. His father bought him a special robe and he He pranced around in it to kind of rub it into the brothers and they hated him so much that when he was 17 they sold him to a traveling caravan going to Egypt. There he was sold to a man named Potiphar. God was with Joseph and Potiphar saw that everything Joseph did was successful and so he turned all the affairs of his house over to Joseph. Potiphar's wife noticed that Joseph was well-built and handsome. And she said to him, come to bed with me. But he resisted her attempts. Uh, This woman was not a hag. She was a beauty. Most men struggle with sexual temptation. But when you have a beautiful woman begging you to spend time with her, that is doubly hard. But Joseph was pure before God and did not give in to her seduction. When she saw that her uh, uh, attempts to entice him did not work, she turned to revenge. She accused him of sexually harassing her. And Potiphar, her husband, without uh, investigating her claim, threw Joseph in prison. Joseph did what was right and suffered for it. He was a faithful employee to Mr. Potiphar, refused Mrs. Potiphar's advances, so she concocted a lie that sent him to prison. Untrue accusations can incinerate a reputation that takes years to build up, from free man to slave to prisoner. Everything about his his circumstances suggested that God had forgotten him. It would have been so easy for Joseph to become bitter. But he did not. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. It seemed like Joseph was abandoned, but the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness. And granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. There's no indication that Joseph wallowed in self-pity. Blaming the people who were so unfair to him. He didn't say of of his offenders, my life is your fault. Instead, he trusted that God knew what he was doing. He said, God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. I'll trust him in my situation. He forgave those who wronged him. Forgiveness enables you to avoid the trap of blaming others for your problems. Two of the prisoners that were under Joseph's care were the, uh, Pharaoh's former cupbearer and chief baker. Both had done something that uh, made uh, Pharaoh unhappy with them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not, interp- do not interpretations belong to God? Remember now, Joseph has a history with dreams. Uh, God has communicated with him in dreams before, but he doesn't say, oh, oh I can reinterpret your dream. He says, God's the only one. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Now, I've suggested that Joseph has forgiven his offenders But he's not unrealistic. He wants out of prison. And here's the the first indication. He wants to get out of this place. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head. I mean, Joseph is blunt. He did the same thing with his brothers years earlier when he tells about the dream of them bowing down to him, within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Three days later, everything happened just the way Joseph said it would. The cupbearer went back to serving Pharaoh, and the baker became food for the birds. While he must have hated to see the dire interpretation about the baker come true, this also must have raised some hopeful expectations in Joseph. In his daydreams, he could probably see the cupbearer talking to Pharaoh and and, and, and Pharaoh calling and, and releasing Joseph for prison. Joseph had his bags Packed in his mind and he was ready to go. There was only one problem the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, he forgot him. When two full years had passed, two long years, no miracles. No signs. No dreams. Nothing. We get upset when we're abandoned for a minute. Joseph was abandoned for two years. Unfair abandonment from someone you helped is tough. You can identify. Perhaps you've been left by a mate for whom you worked hard and sacrificed to put through school. Or it could be you started a business with a friend you trusted. And then someone handed you the books and showed you that for years he's been siphoning off the profits from the business. A partner you trusted. Those two long years must have seemed like an eternity to Joseph. Where was God in all of this? Joseph could have grown deeply bitter, but instead he trusted that God knew what he was doing. Joseph refused to become bitter due to his circumstances. How did Joseph do it? How did he forgive instead of blaming? How did he avoid becoming bitter? How can you move from blaming others to taking responsibility for your life? Let me suggest four steps. First, give up all or nothing thinking. When someone has offended us, we tend to think in terms of, this person is 100% evil. Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King reminds us, Jr., reminds us that there is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we understand this, we're less prone to hate our enemies. So rather than seeing the person who hurt you as being 100% at fault, see them as 75% or 50%. This allows you to see that maybe you had some part in the conflict. Joseph realized that he had a part in causing his problems. He pranced around in his expensive robe to to rub it in that he was dad's favorite. He told the dream that he should have kept to himself about the brothers bowing down to him. He was obnoxious. We don't see Joseph as being 100% good. Two, lower your expectations. Most things that happen in life, uh, we have expectations that they'll happen a certain way, and when they don't happen, we're disappointed. We're disappointed in people, but people are all human, and they're going to let us down. I've shared with you before how low expectations helped Jory and I get off to a great start in dating. Uh, I was a young life leader of a uh, Chicago area uh, young life club, and it had grown very rapidly, and I needed new leaders. It was easy for me to get guy leaders at the seminary where I attended, but I needed girl leaders. And so I called the area young life uh, director, and I said, I need a, a new head girl leader. And he sent me Jory. When she walked into the room, I'm sure my jaw dropped. She was beautiful. And uh, uh, after the meeting, I had us pray. I had us sit in a circle and uh, Indian leg style. And, and I said, well, let's hold hands as we pray. Everybody knows God hears us better when we hold hands, right? And I was I made sure I was sitting next to Jory and uh you know, I wanted to date her right away, but I had a problem. She was a widow. I had never dated a widow before. She had married young in college, and a few months into their marriage, her husband was uh, uh, diagnosed with inoperable spinal cancer. So I didn't know if, if she wanted to date again or if she would be interested I said, God, I don't know what to do. My expectations are only in you. And here was the verse that I used. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. I prayed that prayer and I said, God, my expectation is only in you. Well, that meant Jory could, not, could, could do no wrong. I wasn't setting expectations for her and her feelings and what she did. My expectations were only in God. What I didn't know is that Jory was praying the same way. She had never dated as a widow before. She didn't know if it was right for her to have interest in, in someone new. And so she was praying to God, I don't know what to expect here. And both of us were delighted as God revealed each other to us every step of the way. The reason we have so many disappointments in our relationships is because we pile all these expectations on each other. And when the other person doesn't deliver, we're disappointed and frustrated. All people are human, so let's not expect perfection from people. Third, take responsibility for your happiness. Who's responsible for your happiness? Is it the person who hurt you? Or you yourself? The truth is, you're responsible for your happiness. No one but you. Viktor Frankl, the psychiatrist, said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Joseph was hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused, wrongly imprisoned, and forgotten by the cupbearer. Almost everything was taken from him. But he still had the freedom to choose how he would respond to his circumstances. We cannot control whether we will be treated fairly. But we can choose how we will respond. Resentment, bitterness, revenge. These are the common attitudes people choose when they're mistreated. God has a different choice in mind for his children forgive. While you're not responsible for the hurtful actions of someone else, you are responsible for what you do in response to the person who wronged you. Your life is your responsibility. And what you do in response to the hurt inflicted on you determines who you become. Are you taking responsibility for your happiness right now? Or are you blaming someone else for your unhappiness? If you're playing the blame game, there's nothing you can do to improve your situation. You may want to blame someone else for your unhappiness, but don't give in to that lie. If someone else were really responsible for your happiness, that person would be in, in charge of your life. I mean, that's crazy. you are more likely to look after your own happiness than someone who doesn't even like you. We all have to choose resentment or or forgiveness, unhappiness or happiness, bitter or better. Here's the difference. With bitter, you say, you make me angry. With better, you say, I make myself angry. With bitter, you say, your actions caused my feelings and behaviors. With better, you say, my thoughts and actions determine how I feel and what I do. With bitter, you say, you must change so I can feel better. With better, you say, I choose how I live my life. With bitter, you say, if you do not change, I will resent you and I will be miserable all my life. With better, you say, I am free to do what I need to do for myself, for my well-being. I will go on with my life and live happily. In the final analysis, happiness is a choice you make. If you choose to be happy, you will be. Forgiveness gives you the power to make that choice. Forgiveness releases you from the grip of control over your life that you've given to the offending person. Forgiveness puts you back in the driver's seat. That leads to my fourth point. Forgive so you can move on with your life. Joseph forgave and moved on with his life. His brothers sold him into slavery. He moved on to being in charge of all of Potiphar's house. Mrs. Potiphar accused him of sexual assault and threw him in prison. He moved on to being in charge over all the prisoners. The cupbearer forgot Joseph. Joseph moved on to continually faithfully serving God in prison. Are you blaming someone for your unhappiness? Do you hold deep bitterness toward them for something they did? Do you often think about how you could get revenge? If you're withholding forgiveness because you think forgiveness is letting somebody off the hook too easily, remember that forgiveness helps you more than it does the other person. Forgiveness is a better option than bitterness. Forgiveness enables you to avoid the trap of blaming others for your problems. Will you forgive someone who hurt you today? If you've never done so, will you let God forgive you today? Just say, God, I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins and raise him to life. I want him to come in and forgive my sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we've read today. That even though many things were done wrong to Joseph, he chose to forgive and move on in his life. And we want to do the same thing. Wherever you are right now, I want to give you an opportunity to pray. Would you just tell God that you want to forgive people that have hurt you, and you're holding uh, resentment toward? Name them by name and say, God, I cancel the debt toward them. Would you do that right now? Some of you have maybe one person, maybe you have a long list. Go through them name by name. Maybe you can't do it fully. Maybe you can forgive them 50%. And if you've never invited Christ into your life, ask him to forgive your sins and come in right now. You pray. Father, we recognize that we tend to blame people when things go wrong in our lives. And we tend to hold bitterness, bitter feelings towards people who have wronged us. Help us to understand that there's a better way, forgiving. And we choose that this week. In Jesus' name.